standing, remain standing. Everybody kind of stretch a little bit, kind of do a little yoga twist. I know you're still kind of waking up in the morning. You lost an hour. Say, come on, I'm watching you. Twist a little bit, move, stretch. All right, everybody, everybody's hands up high. Everybody's hands up high, both hands high. Now turn to somebody next to you, give them a high five. You may have to lower some of you. Give them a high five. Okay, stretch it out. Right, now you may be seated. You made it. You did it on Time Change Weekend. You came to church. When we turn in the roll tomorrow, did you know every Monday morning we have to turn in the roll who showed up and who didn't? And for those who show up here, you get two check marks by your name. In the sanctuary, true words online too. Y'all y'all get check marks and everything like that. So glad you're here. Uh, thank you for uh, make, going, making the distractions, right, the resistance uh, to come to worship uh, this morning. Anytime you could sleep in, uh, you did it. Today been the day. Uh, but you didn't. So I want to celebrate that with you. If you have your Bibles, whether you're at True Worth, online, in the sanctuary here in the house, please find Exodus chapter 17. We're going to camp out this morning in Exodus chapter 17. We're not moving from it. We're going to stay right there the entire way and try to go a little as deep as we can. Uh, this morning, we are beginning a new message series we're calling Now Connected. And for the six straight weeks, we're going to be talking about prayer. I've been promising this series uh, since last spring, and now's the time during the season of Lent to do it. And so I hope you will take advantage of the opportunities that Judy alluded to in the crossing. Many opportunities, not just on Sunday, but throughout the week. You can show up here anytime, and there's prayer stations and prayer, prayer opportunities. Also, uh, families, especially those kids, uh, our, our prayer wall, our, our family ministries wall, or the ministry spotlight wall. There's tons of resources to help you teach your kids to pray. And things you can do in the home, Lenten exercises for prayer. Books you can, you can have to read. So please stop by and take advantage of all these opportunities. And also please notice on the back of your life steps, in your worship guide, you have your message notes. On the back side, it has life steps. And it's different this week. During the season of Lent, we're going to give you a chunk of scripture just to read that passage, and you'll see up at the top of still a little bit of instruction, but primarily, we're going to ask you to kind of just see what you think God has to say to you about prayer in that passage, but then also please notice on the instructions, every morning, there's going to be a prayer made available to you written by someone in the church, and you can find it on Instagram, be sent to you by, by Facebook, uh, Twitter, you can find it on our website. And so you can sign up, it'll be driven to you, so you do your worship time in the morning, your Bible time, your prayer time, and then there's going to be that prayer that everybody in the church can be praying, offering the same prayer and kind of help us kind of get on the same page as we work through this, uh, this six weeks. So I'm really looking forward to this. We're going to start with prayer because I think it'd be appropriate before we begin a series on prayer uh, that we do that. And so if you would join me just for a moment. God, here we are again opening your book, opening your word, and we're seeking direction and understanding about something you have given to us as a gift. And so we ask for you to teach and for you to instruct us. And God, some of us help us to learn how to connect with you at a deeper, more personal and rich level. And God, there are some here who come this morning who really need to be touched. They need a touch of your power. They need a touch of your presence. And so in the name of Jesus, I ask before they leave this campus, before they leave True Worth, before they disconnect online, that they will feel the power of your touch. 
I ask you to do this in Jesus' name. Amen. We're going to be, chapter 17, picking at verse 8. Here's what I think happens in verse 8. In verse 8, I can see Moses going, really, God? Really? Moses looks over this hilltop, and he sees his enemy army storming over the hill. They all have their swords out, ready. The archers, they have their, their bow and arrows ready to darken the sky with their deadly arrows. And Moses knows it's going to be bad. He says, really, God, we're being invaded. A few weeks earlier, we left Egypt. We're hungry still. We're trying to find enough water. Really, God, it's going to be an old-fashioned massacre, God. I mean, I know by sunset, my children, my grandchildren, possibly my grandchildren, they're all going to be dead. But that's verse 8. I mean, I think Moses knows. He can see it. He sees what's going on, and he knows that the people who trusted him to lead him out of Egypt into the wilderness, uh, most of them could be gone. It's going to be a massacre. He knows their troops are not ready for battle. They're young. They're green. They're not seasoned. He knows the women and children are soon going to be freaking out. And that's just going to add to the chaos of a lethal surprise attack that's coming over the hillside. And Moses knows that time is of the essence. When there is a crisis, a leader knows time is critical. And if you're a leader and there's a crisis, you call upon the people you trust the most to come help you. So in verse 9, Moses calls out Joshua. And he says, Joshua... I want you to sound the battle cry. I want you to round up as many of the army as you can, and I want you to go into the valley and to meet the enemy as they come. Joshua's young, courageous, maybe a little overconfident. He doesn't know how bad this could turn so quickly. And then Moses, 80 years of age, turns to his two other confidants, his, his older brother, 83 years of age, Aaron, their older brother-in-law, her, and he says, hey, guys, come with me. We got to do what we need to do. And so they climb, the scripture says, on top of this hill. Now, let me ask you, what do you think they did while they were on top of that hill, these three old guys, all 80 and older? Do you think they directed the battle like field generals from there? Do you think they picked up rocks and started throwing them down onto the enemy? Do you think maybe they cursed God for this surprise attack out in the wilderness and for what, you bring us out here to die and be killed by the Amalekites? What do you think they did? Well, I'm telling you, it was none of the above. Moses did what children do. When children are startled and they feel vulnerable and they feel like something bad is about to happen, Moses just lifted his hands up to God. Just like my little 17-month-old granddaughter Lennox did on what I call Papa Friday. It's really Papa and Didi Friday, but Didi's my wife's name, but I just like to call it Papa Friday. And so it's Papa Friday and we're going for a walk. And I try to grab her hand for the walk. And she keeps pushing my hand away like a 17-month-old saying, what do you think, I am a baby? 
you know, what do you think? I'm a baby. And so she's walking, and I'm trying to grab her hand because I see the dangers that are, that are possibly. And I, there's this big curb, and I say it's a big curb. To her, it's huge. It's like 30 inches, but it's only five inches. And she steps up on top of the curb next to this driveway, and she starts jumping off. And she jumps into the culvert, and she would jump, and she would jump. And I, I can see the dog keep reaching for her hand, and she keeps pushing it away. But I know what's about to happen. And sure enough, she jumps, and she begins to fall. And she's going to do a face plant onto the pavement. And as she's falling, it's just like slow motion. She goes, Papa. <laughs> and man, just quickly, one sweeping out of one arm. And I had her right here. I said, Papa's got you, sweetie. Here's image number one in your message notes. This is not on the screen. Moses lifting his hands to God like a 17-month-old. Papa. Papa. He sees the enemy, bloodthirsty, coming over the hill. He sees Joshua down in the, in the valley. It's going to be a massacre. He knows they're not ready. It's going to be a bloodbath. He knows he's the leader. He has to make a strategic decision. Please listen if you're a leader. If you are a leader of any kind and there is a crisis, the people expect you to give clear direction and to make strategic decisions. He thinks, what can I do to best serve my people? What can I do to advance the military effort? Climbs a hill, raises hands to God, and he says, God, Help. We need some supernatural help or we're done. Help us, God. Now, I want to push the pause button before I read to you what happens next. And I want to make sure you understand something. Because I believe this is the greatest privilege of being a human. The greatest privilege of being a human is truth number one in your message notes. Three truths, three images. Here's the first truth. That the God of the universe invites you and me through prayer to asking for help. That the one who created the entire cosmos, who breathed life into you, gives you and me the privilege of asking him for help. Anytime, anywhere, for any purpose, for any reason, like a 17-month-old, to raise your hands to God and say, God, I need some help. Now, here's what I know about us humans, because I am one. I've done the same thing. We have complicated this notion called prayer. We've made it all so complicated with our different theologies and our philosophies and, and logistics of prayer that sometimes you get so tied up in a knot on prayer that you give up on prayer and you don't even pray. I know this happens. It's happened to me. I know it's happened to you. And yet, interestingly enough, when Jesus shows up on this earth and he sees the people that he loves losing the battles more than they win the battles, beaten down and weary, he just simply says, you should pray more. You should pray more. That's really what he says, I think, in Matthew chapter 7, verse 7, Sermon on the Mount, when he says, hey, listen, guys, ask. It'll be given to you. Seek. You'll find it. Knock. Door's going to open. I think Jesus is saying there's no good reason why you should deny receiving the good help that heaven wants to send you. No reason. 
There's no good reason why you should try to do on your own by your own human strength that you've not been designed to do. Seek the guidance of heaven. Ask for God to give it to you. And by all means, if there's a door in front of you and you need God to open it, and don't stop. For the past few days, since Wednesday, I've been looking through these cards over and over and over again. These are the cards that many of you on Ash Wednesday laid at the cross. And as I've looked up these cards, this has confirmed what I thought. It is time for us around here, for the people called Pathway, Sanctuary, True Worth, online, wherever you are, traveling on spring break, wherever you are, it's time for us to ratchet up our prayers. It's time. And it's not just time for me to ratchet up my praying for you. It's time for you to ratchet up your prayer life. To ratchet up your asking. To ratchet up your seeking. To ratchet up your knocking. It's a privilege. It changes things. Let me show you. Look at the text. Look at verse 11. As long as Moses held up his hands, the Israelites were winning. But whenever he lowered his hands, the Amalekites were winning. When I was studying this text and diving into it, my first thought was, I wonder how long it took for them to figure that out. And I kind of picture it like this. Morning begins. Moses goes to the top of the hill. The battle's begun. His hands are up. And the tide is going toward the side of the Israelites. It gives 10 o'clock break time. Moses decides to get a cup of coffee, check his emails, do a few yoga stretches like you just did. And while he's doing that, his brother Aaron is watching. And he notices that when Moses puts his hands down, the battle hinges toward the side of the enemy. He goes, huh. Moses gets off his brake, goes back to his hands up in the air, and the battle swings back in the favor of the Israelites. And Aaron's going, uh-huh, I think there's something here. So lunchtime comes around. It's time for Moses to take a lunch break. And I can see Aaron say, hey, Moses, uh, you might want to eat really quick. Because <laughs> I think, I think there's a correlation between you have your hands up and when you have them down here. So Moses, he eats real fast, and sure enough, when he goes to eat, the battle swings in the side of the enemy. And I think maybe he skips dessert just to be on the safe side. And so he does, and I'll be dadgum. He raises his hands back up. The battle swings back over to the Israelites again, and now they know there's a direct one-to-one correlation. That when Moses has his hands down at his side, the battle swings away, the tide. And then when, it's, when he has his hands up, it swings in behalf of the Israelites. Now, church, I love that image. 
That's, I want you to, that image of Moses with his hands up to God, saying, God, help us, God, help us, God, help us, God. God, unless you help, we're toast, we're done, God, help us. I love that image. I love that image so much. I hope that image, this image you see right here, this image right here is so burned in your brain that when this six weeks is over, you may have forgotten every single word that I have spoken, but you have that image in your head, and you never lose it. It's powerful. But if you don't take anything else, one word that I share this morning, this next phrase is it. Please hear this. The tide of your life battles hinge on the location of your hands. The tide of my life battles hinge on the location of my hands. Now, Physiologically, raised hands, lowered hands, not that impressive. My raised hands at the very highest point, a little over seven foot, 90 inches to be exact, eight foot, seven foot, seven foot, six inches, 90 inches, okay? My lowered hands at the lowest point, 24 inches off the ground. That's a difference of 66 inches. No big deal. No big deal. Yet I'm here to testify this morning that the experience of my life has been directly impacted by the location of my hands. That the quality of my life and the tides of the battles in my life directly correlated. I can take you back to seasons in my life where my hands were lifted up to God frequently and fervently and expectantly, just believing that the inclination of the Father's heart toward me was one of goodness and kindness and that he really wanted to help me. I can take you back to seasons in my life where my hands were so raised and so connected to God, there was a richness in the relationship between me and God that the presence of his grace and the presence of his favor was so palpable. It was so much like I could breathe it, I could touch it, I could taste it. It was so rich. And I'm not telling you that during those seasons that I did not face trouble, that everything was perfect, that I had no trials, that I had no temptations. I'm not saying that, but here's what I'm saying. That during those seasons, when my hands were continually just lifted up to God in, in the needing of his help and this relationship that it seemed like the tide of my life battles all toward the lean toward God's way. And it wasn't because of the circumstances in my life. It was because of the battle inside the soul that the presence and the power of God in here was so real and so powerful. It didn't make any difference what happened out there. I just bet you there's some people here in this room and even watching online or in the sanctuary, true word, you could testify that you know this is true. Because you can think of times in your life, some of you, when you were going through a hard season, but man, you were just so trusting and dependent upon God that you just leaned upon him for help and it was so rich and so mighty and you began your day in the word and you began your day in prayer and you went out to work or you went to school and there was just a power that went with you. And you were going to a job, right? And you had to make a presentation at work. It was a big presentation or apply for a promotion or for an interview. And man, it was a big deal. But you just walked out before you went and you said, God, 
ah, I trust you. Give me some help, God. I know you got this. And you went in and you nailed it. You're going to a doctor, right? You're going to go get a checkup. And, man, your prognosis, the diagnosis, all that sort of stuff. And there's a lot of ominous stuff being thrown around. And before you walk in to get it, you just stop. And you say, God, okay, I need your help here to hear the news, to receive the news, a peace that passes all understanding. I know you can. I know you will. Thank you, God. And you went in. And regardless of the outcome, you were fine. On the inside, you were winning the battle God's way. You're a stay-at-home mom. You're a single mom. Or let's just say you're a spring break mom. (laughs) And the little rugrats are under your feet all the time, right? And you're kind of getting tired. You just stop in the middle of the day and you go, hey, God, these kids are driving me blooming crazy, God. (laughs) I pray, God, to give me power. Just help me, God. And then the rest of the day, in spite of all that, you have a sense of calm. You have a sense of steadiness. Because you know the presence and the fullness of God is with you. Church, you know. Some of you know. It's like breathing. It's like praying without ceasing. It's like you sense God is with you and you're aware of it on a continual basis. On the other hand, I can think of times in my life when my hands were not here, but my hands were here. And I know some of you can too. And I felt there was this distance between me and God, and it didn't feel close. And uh, I had kind of this, I can do it by myself. I'm going to push through. I'm strong enough, and I'm just have this independent spirit, and I can do this. And I don't know about you, but I know about me. When I've been in those seasons of life, several weeks and months later, I would look back, and I could tell that the tides of the battle in my soul were not leaning in God's direction. They were leaning in the side of the enemy in the ways of the world. And there was chaos around me and in me. And almost every single time, I could stop and I would say, Rick, what, why, why were you acting that way? Why were you responding Why were you talking like that? Why were you treating them like that? Why were you doing that? And almost always, I can tell you, it had to do with my location of my hands. Instead of, God, I trust you. Help me, God. We can't do this without you. I was doing it all by myself. Am I the only one who's been there and up and down these seasons? And here's the big question. If we know, according to God's word, that when I have my hands up to him, the battle tends in my direction. And when I have my I can do it all by myself. I'm going to figure it out. The battle goes in his direction, in the other direction. Why do we ever lower our hands? Why? I tell you, church, there's so many different reasons for prayer. I want to call this prayerlessness. We all go through prayerless seasons. And over the course of the next six weeks, I hope to point out a lot of different reasons why we go through seasons like this. But there's one right here in the scripture for this morning I want you to, I want you to notice. This is just one we're going to hit on this morning. Look what it says there in verse 12. When Moses' hands grew what? Grew tired. Moses was a great man. He was a leader of leaders. He was a spiritual rock star. He was also very human. 
and he was also 80. And his hands grew tired. Anybody here ever had tired hands and a weak faith? And you just kind of allowed your hands just to drop and say, ah, what the use? I hate to admit it. After all, I know you have expectations of me, perhaps that are unrealistic. <laughs> but I am very human. And uh, my hands have fallen more times than I want to admit. I got called on it here a couple of weeks ago. It was a painful call. A couple of weeks ago when I was not teaching, I was walking around the exterior of the building during this service and after this service because I know our parking lot is atrocious on most weekends and that this space in here is very crowded. So much so, we have people worshiping the sanctuary and we're trying to do something about it. And so I'm out there walking, asking people, how long did it take you to park? Maybe I ask you, tell me about your parking. Tell me your, I was just trying to learn. And there was this guy saw me out there, standing on the grass right on the other side of this wall. And you know how you can tell that somebody's coming for you? <laughs> I, I can tell he had, a, he, had a, he had an intentionality of his walk. And he's coming for me and says, hey, hey, pastor, I'm so glad you're out here. It took me 20 minutes to park. Complain, complain, complain about the parking. He said, and while I'm on this, how come y'all haven't built a bigger worship center? A more perfect, why was you worshiping in the gym? I mean, my goodness, this chap has been there so long. Why, why don't you have a more permanent worship center and the parking thing? Listen, I see we got that land across the street. Why don't you have just built stuff across the street on that, on that land across the street and that little church right next door to you? It's been there forever. It's done nothing. Why don't y'all just buy it and knock it down and put parking right there? That would solve everything. He had no idea the wound that he was touching. He had no idea. I tried to share a little bit how in 2007 we cast this vision. We had architect, we had drawings and plans for building a, more, a permanent worship space. We had it. More parking, more lots of stuff. And then the 2008 crash, great crash. And oh, it was so depressing because we had that vision for a long time. Been praying, 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 praying. It just kind of all went up, kind of fell apart. Then we built a crossing here, out here, to connect the two facilities uh, many years ago. We, um, we talked about then, and we said, we can't, afford, we can't do it all at once. we got to add more parking. No, we need to have a bigger place for our children and not more parking. So we had to compromise, and he had no idea. And we made several offers on that little church next door to us, but they're, they're, and they, they're a great people. We've got a great relationship. We love them. They love us. But the price tag was just more than we thought was that. And so nothing ever happened on it. And so I tried to tell him all of that without sinning. <laughs> you know what I mean? <laughs> You'd have been proud of me. I didn't sin. I didn't get defensive. I didn't cloud up and bow my back, you know, I, I just, but then he did something. He hit me below the belt. He said, Pastor, are you still praying that some donor's going to give some large gift to the church that's going to jumpstart the building of parking across the street and finally get a worship center that everybody can fit in? And have you prayed that joyfully the church next door is going to call you and give it at a decent price? Have you been praying unceasingly? I was going to go, bam, he right in the face. <laughs> I didn't. But I want to go, pow. Boy, wouldn't even see it. I mean, boom, he'd be out just like that. 
because he had no idea. He had no idea. He was pretty new how long we had been praying. So long. But he also touched a nerve. Can I tell you the ugly truth? Can I tell you the ugly truth? On these issues, my hands had grown tired. And I had kind of stopped praying for a while about those things. Because nothing was happening. Am I the only one who has something in your life you thought was so important to your heart, and you prayed, and you prayed, and you prayed, but disappointment again, and 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 finally get to a point, you go, okay, God, you know what, I just accept this the way it is, I'm going to stop praying about it, I just accept, you ever done that, anybody besides me ever got that point in your life, because you don't understand why prayers have not been answered the way you thought. So what do you do when that happens? What do you do when your hands get tired and you quit? Let me show you what happens. Look at the text. Verse 12, when Moses' hands grew tired, they took a stone, they put it under him, he sat on it. Here it comes. Aaron and Hur held his hands up on one side, one on the other, one on one side, one on the other. Image number one, Moses' hands lifted up to God, high up to God like a 17-month-old God. Help us, help us, help us, help us. Image number two, Moses' hands, 80-year-old, arthritis in the shoulders, hands gnarled, tired, falling to the ground. And two older guys, 83-year-old brother Aaron and even older brother-in-law her, falling on the ground, getting on their knees, reaching up, pushing his elbows up, saying, Moses, put your hands up, buddy. We're not going to quit on you, man. We know you're running out of juice. We know you're getting old. You're getting tired. But we're going to hold you up and fuel you up. And we're not quitting, Moses. We're going to stay here and hold your arms up till the battle is done. You're not alone, Moses. Church, I love that picture. I want you to burn that image in your brain. How many of you have had people come into your life and do that? Jesus did. Jesus is going to the cross. He goes to the Garden of Gethsemane to pray. His arms were tired. He hadn't even picked up the cross yet. He's not even picked it up to carry it to the top of the hill. He calls out Peter, James, and John. He says, hey, guys, would you please come pray with me? Pray for me. In other words, my arms you're a serious follower of Jesus Christ, sometimes you need to know this, some prayer burdens require arm bearers. Some prayer burdens require arm bearers. If you're a serious follower of Jesus, you're going to figure it out one day, one day, one day, you're going to get weary in your faith, your arms are going to be tired, your faith tank is going to get empty, and you're going to humble yourself. And you're going to go to someone, and you're going to say, hey, listen, my friend, this is not going to be forever, but for a while I need your help. I'm in a hard season. Could you hold my arms up in prayer for me for a while? Would you please do that? And here's what you're really saying. Could I siphon some faith out of your tank? 
My tank is bone dry. I hate to admit it, but my tank is bone dry. Could you let me have some of yours for a while? In church, when that happens, and you humble yourself and allow it to happen, you will experience a power being transferred out of that person's life into your life, and you'll never forget it. I remember so many times in my life, I remember when we were about to announce the, the name change of this church, and I will tell you there are very few things more controversial in a church than the changing of a name. A lot of churches die and get mad and destroy and split over this thing, and, but we, all, we knew we needed to change the name. And I had to come and announce it that final weekend, here's what it is. Ah, and I was just, uh. so on that Saturday, I'm in my office getting ready for the big weekend announcement from St. Matthew to Pathway, and the elders come and knock on my door before I'm going to preach on Saturday night. And they walk in and say, stay right there, Rick, sit down. I thought it was a stick-up or something, man, so <laughs> I just stayed there. And they came around my chair and put their hands upon me, and they just started praying and praying and praying, and they just started pouring faith into my tanks. And when I walked out that door, to come stand right here. There was a presence and a power that had nothing to do with me. Church, is that operational in your life? Do you have errands and hers in your life that if you humbled yourself and you asked them, they know you, you know them, they care for you, that they would come underneath and lift your arms up for a while until you can do it again on your own? Do you have that in your life? Just as important, do you have a Moses in your life that you know is a leader wherever you live, wherever you work, wherever you go to school, a leader who carries in the heavy burden and they're human and you know their arms are getting tired, do you? Where in your circle of acquaintances, do you know of people that you see every day fighting battles and they just keep losing the battle? You can see it, they're losing the battle. It's the same battle. And you care for them enough that you would come knock on their door, their office, their classroom, and you would say, hey, listen, I, uh, I've, been more, I've been noticing uh, carrying a heavy load right now. Would it be okay if me and if we got underneath your arms and we just for a while held them up for you while you couldn't? That is my prayer over the course of the next six weeks that every single person who calls Pathway home, that you have the experience of someone either in your section where you sit, in the crossing when you're praying, in your small group, in your home, that somebody will say, hey, listen, I'm going I'm to hold you up in prayer for a while. I'm going to be praying that the tides of the battle of your marriage start shifting in God's way. I'm going to start praying the tide of the battle of your health starts leaning toward God's way, your job, your finances. It is my prayer that every single person has that experience of someone holding them up in that way. And when that happens, you're going to get in your car or close your door, and you're going to go, whoa, I'm not alone. I'm not alone. And your faith is going to be strengthened because of the body surrounding. Back to the text this last time. Let's finish this up. Back to the story. See what happens. What happens in the end. Moses grew tired. Verse 12, they took a stone, put it under him. He sat on it. Aaron and Hur held his hands up 
one on one side, one on the other, so that his hands remain steady till when? Sunset. Verse 11, so Joshua overcame the Amalekite army with the sword. Image number one, Moses' hands lift up to high like a 17-month-old baby. Help me, help me, help me, God. Image number two, Moses' hands growing so tired and weary to his side, also tired, so weary. Two of his friends raising him back up to God. Image number three, blazing orange Middle Eastern sunset. High up on the hill, three old men, arthritis in their shoulders, their fingers gnarled, their legs aching, their arms aching, the silhouette of their hands up to God, exhausted but exhilarated, thanking God for the victory of what God has done through his power. What a power. What an image. And if I close my eyes, I can see that. I close my eyes, I can see the silhouette of those three men up there, old, their time almost done, not able to wield a sword anymore, but they prayed. I can picture Joshua and his soldiers in the valley returning home, returning back to camp, and uh, I can just see Joshua, if I close my eyes, I can see Joshua looking up to the hill when they pass by and he sees Moses and Aaron and her I can see him going hey you guys we did what we had to do but you guys wow when your hands were down we got slaughtered but when your hands were up the battle swung in our direction thank you thank you thank you you guys. And I can see in Joshua's head this young leader who's green, connecting the dots as his mentor taught him in that moment. There's power when God's people pray. There's power released from heaven that changes lives that no human alone can do. One more time. The location of your hands. Here, God, you can do it. Here, I can do it. All the difference in every battle in your life. You get to choose. Everybody who can, I invite you to stand. True word stand, sanctuary stand. If you're online, you're where you can stand. I invite you to stand. If you're a serious follower of Jesus, if you're a serious follower of Jesus for the next six weeks, and you already know about this, I'm just, you're, you're not hearing anything new. Your life is about to get richer than it ever has been before as you practice this thing called prayer. I mean, you're going to feel closest with God, and you're, I'm going to ask you please to help cast the vision all around the church, in your small group, among your friends, among youth, in your class, wherever you go, in the crowd, just to spread the vision of the power of prayer. I'm going to ask you to do that, and it's going to be what God's going to do. But there are some of you here, you've not yet figured this out, this thing called prayer. It's still a battle for you. 
you know that's okay. That's okay. But here's my prayer for you. You say, I'm going to be praying. Well, you're going to figure it out. That when you do this, and you got it, the battle swings in the other direction. But when you raise your hands like this to God, because you feel like you're falling, you feel vulnerable, you feel like you're failing, like a 17-month-old who cries out, Papa, Papa, Papa. God is going to reach down and grab hold of you and pull you tight with one arm. held up after that saying, oh, Father, I need you. Lord, I need you. Lord, I need you. Oh, I need you. Every hour I need you. My one defense, my righteousness. There's some marriages in this room that need you. There's some students. They need you, Father. There's some single women and men, God, some single moms. They need you. There's some families, God. Hear our prayer, O Lord, and send help from heaven and unleash 
your power. And may the battle bring you the glory and you the honor as victory is yours and ours. In Jesus' name, amen.